0: The experience of truth is initially. I, you know what, man? I've never been fucked in the ass. I'm not a gay guy. But when you hear, like, on the. When you turn. When you go to the Playboy channel. And you listen to, like, uh, women talk about anal sex. One thing that they say is. It hurts at first. But over time, it becomes, like, immensely pleasurable. Well, that's exactly the same thing with truth. Truth is like getting anal sex. It's like the universe sticking its cock into your metaphysical asshole. (laughs) At first, it's incredibly, incredibly painful. You're like, please, take that out. That fucking hurts. But then... Over time, you find yourself longing for it. just repeats over and 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 over again, and we're just in a repetitive loop, which is a really scary concept if you're having a shitty life, and a really great concept if you're having a wonderful life.
1: Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Duncan Trussell a little bit later about all sorts of fun stuff. Drunken Tussle? Drunken Tussle. Uh, but first, as always, giggling Graham Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, buddy?
2: <laughs> I meant to call him Duncan Tru- or Drunken Tussle in front of his face, and I
1: forgot. You uh, dropped the ball. Mind
2: you, we weren't in video chat or anything like that. So. But, yeah, I'm doing well. He had me giggling before we even got on the phone. Or got on the Skype.
1: Giggling Graham. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, so, yeah, last week we didn't have an intro. We just kind of spat that one out. Yeah. Because we were on the road with the boys all weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was it was a good time.
2: Yeah.
1: I hung out on the side of the Columbia River underneath a railroad bridge for about... Uh, <laughs> Couple three hours, three, hours, three yeah. hours, yeah. Two for sure, probably good three. No, yeah. it was a great drive through oh, the yeah. mountains. Yeah, so. it was a good drive, fun mm-hmm. drive. Stopped and hung out and learned some stuff with Randall and
2: Oh, just great conversation with all those guys, man. It's just smart, intellectual guys. It's just great to chat with. Open minded conversation. You can talk to them about anything.
1: Yeah, we'll yeah. It, it, was a, it was an absolute blast, yeah. Yeah. On the Columbia River, I still can't believe how impressive that fucking fucker is. Because you, know, I've driven over it so many times, but I've never like stopped and walked down to the edge there. Where right. it's just like you can see how wide it is and how fast that water's moving.
2: Yeah. And yeah, that's Rod that.
1: was saying that's only like a hundred miles from the source. Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool to track. We were talking about tracking the source of the Columbia River and kayaking down the whole thing and taping it all the way to the Pacific for a Netflix documentary. Oh,
2: is that what you guys came up with? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you'd get there, man. Going
1: through the gorge and all that, and... you just end up fucking <laughs> it. Maybe you could go in a barrel. We should start a Kickstarter to send you kayaking down the Me? Columbia.
2: I won't fit in the barrel.
1: We'll throw you in a rowboat or something. Thanks. Anytime. I mean, we could strap a bunch of barrels together. Throw a GoPro on you. But we should actually, we might have some cool footage from that. Bill was saying he has some stuff uh, we might be interested in using, so. Using how? Uh, Uh, Some audio, probably, since he has a digital recorder. Oh, yeah,
2: right. I thought you were talking pictures and stuff.
1: Probably some cool pictures, too. I'm going to, uh, we actually had a tweet today from, oh, shit, if I'm going to talk about this, I should probably mention. Mention what?
2: Their name. Where the hell is it? The Twitter's been exploding today, actually. It's been really strange. Where the
1: hell is it? Keep talking.
2: Keep talking. So I got some synchronicities, too. Some feedback from from listeners I want to talk about. One of my favorite parts. And Darren can keep looking for the oh, Twitter.
1: Oh, yeah, from uh, at Jeff Dorizo. If you guys ever want to do video for your podcast, oh, right, right. I would be glad to volunteer my services as a video production consultant. Yeah. That's a pretty good asset or a good uh not asset. Video. But no, but I, it'd be cool if we could I don't wanna be in any videos, but if we could do compilations of some like pictures and stuff to release on the YouTube oh, channel. Yeah, that would be great. Stuff yeah. like that. You know, then we could maybe take some videos of Paradigm or you know, anything like that for the YouTube channel.
2: Right, Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Or any
1: footage they got while they were out there, you know what I mean? Start looking at releasing things in that capacity.
2: Can you mix videos on YouTube and Basically, I mean, it'd
1: be cool if we, it'd be cool if someone, no, that'd be like. But I'd want to know if there's a faster way to fucking turn audio into YouTube. Because right now it takes, like, you know, it's only like a three minute process probably. But it takes so fucking long. Like, it takes probably two hours to convert it.
2: So it's a three-minute process to get it set up, and then it takes yeah. two hours?
1: Yeah, which isn't too hours. bad, but it's kind of annoying, right? When you set out to do something like that, it's nice to just, bam, bam, bam.
2: Yeah, and that's not including putting any stills or videos in there, right? Like, could No, you combine- I don't do
1: anything. I just do, now I'm down to the fucking laziness that I just do one picture, the episode art and the audio, and that's it.
2: So the only thing is, what about our branding? Like, what about the Grammarica logo, though? Shouldn't that be plastered on that, or is that on uh, the channel? That's it's on the channel.
1: Or? I don't know. Yeah, it could. it could be, but I mean, fuck. What are you going to do? It all takes time. Maybe we need a ben social network
2: marketing We need person. to make enough
1: money for an intern. Actually, interns are free, right? They are. We need an intern. A broadcast <laughs> intern. David Fawn
2: might want to come yeah. back up.
1: <laughs> he yeah. was great. Yeah, he, big thanks to David. You guys heard him of Gramerica fame last week. One of
2: our listeners from Lethbridge came up and joined us in the igloo. And then somebody else mentioned uh are we are we accepting people to join us in the igloo for interviews? And uh, I think they're from Saskatchewan, but by all means, man, I drive back and forth there all the time.
1: Only in the winter; too hot in the summer. Actually, it wasn't bad if if we do it late enough. It's not bad. Yeah, but, but right no, now but, but I couldn't I could not to... fucking imagine having any more people in this room right now.
2: Yeah, but yeah, but uh, we can do that.
1: Absolutely, just shoot us an email if you even if even if you're coming on a day we're not recording if uh if you want to check out the studio spam and probably figure something out, yeah, you can come and sign the the uh the banner yeah, that's right so uh so we do
2: this little intro a lot of times and we read listeners' uh feedback and and uh experiences and stuff like that, just sort of try and bring people uh into the show a little bit. And, uh, if you don't want to listen to this, you can fast forward it to the, uh, interview and we will put a timestamp on the front of it. Right. Darren.
1: When I remember. Oh shit.
2: Are you already forgetting? Is there no, a reminder I think
1: you can put on there? You, that little reminder you did that time work. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll
2: try and do that. <laughs> so yeah, I've got some, uh, some stuff you want to jingle up or.
1: What do you got? I can't I got just... some
2: Synchros. And I already told you what I got. I got some synchros and, uh, a,
1: sort Jeez, of a pseudo trip report. Pseudo-trip report. What the fuck? Trip Report.
2: That reminds me of (laughs) E-Frame Palermo. Really? Yeah.
1: Weird. That seems racist.
2: So this is from Douglas. (laughs) Not at all. This is from Douglas. Uh, He says, Hello, guys. I've been listening to your show for some time now. I came across it while looking for additional interviews with Randall Carlson. Great job on that episode, by the way. When I found out that you guys are Canadian, it struck an instant chord with me. I subscribed and never looked back. Digging around through the archives, I found some real gems. The Psilocybus episode was hilarious. Hopefully you guys can do a sequel, and I would recommend, Darren, that you read Food of the Gods by Terrence McKenna, if you haven't already. I do a considerably long drive from work twice a week for work twice a week, six to seven hours, depending on fucking Toronto. So the length of your show is excellent audio filler, which helps break up the mundane commute. Left handers help as well and make the show that much more interesting.
1: I don't know what that is. Like left hand, like left hand media types, left hand.
2: Left handers. I was thinking maybe, no.
1: Oh yeah, maybe. Hmm. Anyways, the way no, you get ga- nobody's seeing your doobie signal though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the way you guys do uh, laid back intros, uh um, maybe listen- it's me
1: knocking you. Oh maybe me taking pot shots yeah, at ground. Maybe.
2: Oh the left handers, <laughs> oh yeah, right, like sucker punches kinda. Yeah. No, yeah. Maybe. The way you guys do laid back intros with listener feedback, trip reports and UFO quotes is enjoyable. It gives a listener insight into yours and your occasional guests like RPJ, etc., Point of view on matters discussed or to be discussed in the interview part of the show. Also, it's just hi- nice to hear some good old Canadian boys shoot the shit sometimes. So I have a more personal lesson than a trip report, really. But he would like he says I would like to share. Since the time of this experience, I've done a lot of reading and documentary watching about cannabis, and have subsequently had my point of view about it changed.
3: Oh, for fuck's sakes. Oh,
2: subsequently, had my point of view about it changed. I considered weed to be like any other illegal illegal drugs out there. Very dangerous and detrimental to the brain and body. With an image of a human brain made of wires being cut and short-circuited in my mind. Government propaganda, anyone? I've slowed down quite a bit since the time of this experience. As an adolescent, I smoked a shitload and got really ripped many times. No stranger to the effects of the devil's lettuce. Let me set the stage. I was in the military at the time, so I made it, canna- it made cannabis that much more taboo. As a member, you're subjected to drug tests random and scheduled times, and rightfully so, because cannabis stays in one system for such a long time, it makes it easier to test and is the drug they love to go after. We, my good friend, whom I served in Afghanistan with, had just been tested the week before. So the coast was relatively clear. Yeah, I guess. And so the coast was clear for the randomness of it, I guess. So he says, uh, we decided to make an epic batch of weed brownies. We used double the recipe of weed butter in the mix and then fired the pan in the oven. We split the batch and ate our respective house with with some vanilla ice cream. It was a lot about the size of an average book.
1: I know that feeling. I forced myself to finish all
2: of it. (laughs) While we waited for it to kick in, we played COD and watched South Park. After an hour, it was, it was drop-kicking us in the face. We laughed and enjoyed the intense, tingling body buzz. After a couple of hours, it was almost impossible to keep our eyes open, so we called it quits and went to sleep. I fell asleep in his guest bedroom right away. I don't know what time it was when I woke up, but it was dark. Everything was in my body was tingling more intensely than before. My world was spinning left, right, up, down. I stumbled out of bed, struggling to move any part of my body. I made it to the washroom that was adjacent to the bedroom. My mouth was drier than the Sahara. I drank from the tap and looked in the mirror. My eyes were the reddest I've ever seen them, like ripe tomatoes. I was fighting just to stay standing and managed to get back to the bed. I sat on the edge of it, trying to stay conscious. I could feel myself slipping away. I've never been this high before. Nothing made sense. I was scared, unable to stay conscious much longer. I said to myself, well, I'm either going to die, or I'm going to wake up with one hell of a headache. I truly thought I was going to die. I let myself go and expected whatever was going to happen. Accepted whatever was going to happen. I woke up around 10 the next morning with one hell of a weed headache. We did some calculation later on and estimated that we had consumed 8 to 10 grams. After that, I learned that it's pretty much impossible to overdose on cannabis. You just pass out like I did. But the mindset that I had at the time made me think the way I had. It was not enjoyable and I would never do that much again. But now I know from experience and research. My buddy never finished his bowl and he is heavier than I am so he didn't get as fucked up. Just didn't wake up till like 11:30. So I really enjoy your show and the experiences listeners share with you guys. I have my, I have many more and if you care I can share them down the road. I'm not sure but when Not sure when but I think it's soon. You guys are meeting up with Randall and chatting. As he looks around Alberta Pass on my support to him For what he does And have a blast Peace, Doug Thanks, Doug That yeah, was interesting I like his take on it, though He's like, okay, well This devil's weed is really Not going to kill you No matter what This might kill you, though
3: Down and Graham <laughs> Going deep It's a profound UFO quote <laughs> Of a weed Words to ponder and critique It's a profound UFO quote of the week that's nice
1: That's a good one, yeah Thanks
2: guys for that jingle
1: Yeah, yeah
2: Actually doesn't Give a
1: shout out to the frog for that one Yeah And toad, was it frog and toad?
2: Yeah, but he says uh...
1: Joel and toad
2: Yeah, but he says Uh
1: Don't say his name.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, he says. uh, Oh yeah, he says he wants my friend. My friend wants me to send it to you in time for the next Randall Carlson chat. So I think we just missed that because we didn't do an intro. Oh yeah, but you got it in the Duncan Trussell one, which is just as good.
3: And he says, I'm not
2: sure he's even a subscriber like me. If you decide to use it, could you also give a shout out to the frog and remind him that he should give something in return for all the gray Americans having to put up with his singing. (laughs) That's from Toad.
1: A jingle counts as value.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Frog and Toad.
1: So get back to the quote.
2: Oh yeah. This was the UFO quote of the week. The phenomena of UFOs does exist and it must be treated seriously. That's it, buddy. That's from Mikhail Gorbachev, premier of the Soviet Union.
1: He wouldn't have said that. He was Russian. What? Say it in Russian.
2: I can't do the Russian accent.
1: (laughs) 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 UFOs exist.
2: It (laughs) must be treated (laughs) seriously.
1: UFOs exist. They must (laughs) be treated seriously.
2: That's good, man. You (laughs) got (laughs) a (laughs) good (laughs) one.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) know. It's almost as good as my English accent. night, mate. That was reported
2: oh. uh, as reported in Soviet youth uh, May 4th,
1: 1990. I could just swing through accents. Gavna. <laughs> People should send in their Canadian accents.
2: No, it's yeah. not. we sound like Bob and Doug. It's <laughs> yeah. We sound like stoners. So, do you want to hear a, a couple synchronicities in it? What's, uh, what's the deal, buddy?
1: Hmm, which one?
3: <sighs> I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet.
2: Oh, this is a good one. This is interesting. Pay attention, Darren.
1: I'm always paying attention. This is, from Ryan. this is from
2: Ryan S. He's a friend of the show and a contributor, and he helps us out. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, thanks to our supporters. And, yeah, and uh, he says, Darren and Graham, I watch a PVR movie today called Trading Places from 1983 with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. I noticed a few things in, in the movie coincidentally or deliberately referring to WTC attacks. That's the World Trade Center attacks.
1: Thanks. Tips.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Near the end of the movie, Dan Ackroyd and Eddie Murphy pull up in a cab in front of WTC. The refu- that's the
1: World Trade Center.
2: Yeah, thanks. You know what it does? It changes etc. on my iPhone to WTC all
1: the changes time. Changes yeah to US too. I know.
2: Still. How many times do I have to type in yeah before it remembers that that's what I'm doing?
1: Maybe it's because if, you, if WTC and yeah are... Or or U.S. are words that allow them to to spy.
2: Yeah, I know. See, so every time I do E C T like etc, it changes it to W T C to snag me.
1: It's like fucking entrapment.
2: See, I would see, and you think I'm the fucking conspiracy guy, and you just came up with that. I didn't even have to say it.
1: I just sang it. Doesn't make it (laughs) so.
2: So sorry for the the tangent there. So so Eddie Murphy and Dan Eckert are pulling in front of the WTC. The reflection on the cab window is the WTC and 9-11 is marked on the cab side as a cab rate. Huh. <sighs> when Dan and Eddie walk in front of the World Trade Center, they are talking. Dan says to Eddie, fear. That's the other guy's problem. Nothing you've experienced can, pre- can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. In this building, it's kill or be killed, Eddie replies. Yeah, we gonna kill the motherfucker. We gotta kill him. People appear to be running away from the World Trade Center in the background while they have this conversation. Screenshot then goes to the inside of the World Trade Center. And then what's going on? That's it, man. He says, don't know if this has been mentioned before by anyone in the conspiracy circle, just thought wow, that had to that had to, that to real while watching. Wow, that's real while watching. The synchro is while watching the movie and Eddie and Dan are on the stock floor. <laughs> my wife texts me from out of town the exact time the phones ring on the stock floor in the movie. I have my eye touch Ringtone set for my wife is the old-fashioned phone tone. Same ring as in the movie. (laughs) That's uh, at Jetfield Fan from Brandon.
1: Uh, That's our buddy. I know who that is. He's not from Winnipeg. That's right. (laughs) And it's, uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, Guess you had to be there. We'll give it a uh, solid five. That's all right generous. Here's another, I like him. Here's another one for Billy M. Fuck like, the Jets, though. Don't look at me all pissed off. Fuck pro sports. Fuck Graham Dunlop. Mr. Dunlop, will see you now. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should make that into a T-shirt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, Graham, uh, this is from Billy M. He says, answering the call for synchronicities. Graham, you guys keep calling out for more synchros, so witnessed one the other day and thought I would send it in. My wife and I were sitting in our living room discussing issues about her family and the knucklehead shit they've been pulling lately. As the discussion went on, my wife was pacing around the room in a full-blown rant. After a few moments, she went down, sat on the couch. Apparently, my daughter's Disney's Else Frozen doll was wedged under the couch cushion. My wife didn't see it and there, see it there and sat down. When her ass hit the cushion, she was in mid-rant bitching about her family. All of a sudden else the doll busts into song. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. At that, I lost my shit and started laughing. Needless, needless to say, she couldn't help it and had a good laugh too. My wife did indeed let it go. Her mood lightened and she quit bitching about her family. Anyways, I hope this anecdote helps. And Obviously and his wife doesn't listen to the
1: show. <laughs> Why? Maybe. I'll give it a, uh, I like it, Why? but it seems like, the dad, got the I wonder if that's the only song that doll sings.
2: That's what you're going to, yeah. It doesn't matter though. It was, no, it was just a matter of time. If
1: his wife bitches a lot, it was just a matter of time until <laughs> the two lined up. I'll give it a, I'll, I'll give it a five and a half. All right.
2: Thanks, no, I'll buddy. give it
1: a five. I'll keep him with the Jets.
2: Thanks buddy. So I want to mention a couple of shows that are uh, coming to Calgary just for all the local listeners. If they want, I'm going to link to them in the show notes, but we have a C-SETI event coming up on the 29th and somebody else is going to join me for that. Oh yeah. There's a a fellow that we know that wants to join and there might be other guys too. And then uh, what else is coming up? Oh, that uh, modern knowledge tour with Nassim Nassim Harriman, um, Patty Greer. And oh now I now fucking I've done it. I've forgotten. And uh, Marty leads. You
1: gotta try and get down there and get in the scene.
2: Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna buy my ticket off a friend of mine, Darren. But uh, you're gonna come to that, right? Oh, uh, plus it's just gonna be pretty cool.
1: Yeah. When is it? Uh, August that was twenty second. Yeah, said so. A, a week away. So play it by ear.
2: So, anyways, uh, that's about it, Darren. Do you have anything else to say?
1: Uh, no, other than support the show. Um, oh, you're, were you going to do, we got that donation. Oh,
2: right, right. Should I? Yeah. yeah. Cause we we're just talking about supporting the show. So this is from uh, a fellow that that's donated. I think it's a fellow. He's, he's, uh, and he's also written a review there, and he, he says uh, we should read the review, and he's donated some some cashola to our gas, for our gas fund, our gear acquisition syndrome fund. We need gas money. Yeah. Wow. Always. And it's from A Creative by Design. He says, I started listening to Grammarica America a little over three weeks ago, and I just finished listening to all the shows to get caught up to the present show. That's pretty crazy to me. Wait a second, What? What?
1: Say he, that again.
2: I said that's pretty crazy. He just started listening three weeks ago, and he's finished listening to all the shows to get caught up, so he knows this pretty well by now. So
1: 129 times we could. Are you going to do the math on this? You're going to turn it into a percentage, like you do. Could, we could, we could. Uh, I would say, pretty conservatively, say 1.5 hours. Yeah. 193 hours. Wow. Divided, divided by, by three. Twenty four hours is eight days.
2: Wow. So he spent like a third of his three weeks listening to Graham America. Thanks,
1: buddy. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, he thinks he's gram. <laughs> I wonder how we've evolved through the shows. Yeah, that'd be interesting to hear. Yeah. The next time someone's gonna binge listen the show, they should uh take a little little make a highlight
2: reel. <sighs> no, no, no. Don't ask for that. So he says, maybe a little synchro here, which I would be honored to have rated by Darren. Or could it possibly be a ripple stick or a ripple effect? But anyways, the last two shows I needed to listen to in order to finish all the past shows were the interviews with Ed Nightingale and then Randall Carlson. Second grammaric interview. I listened to both of those shows the past two nights. And then tonight, I listened to the newest show with both Ed and Randall. Together, making the best show yet, in my opinion. This show encapsulates all the quintessential elements that make Grimerica grimy and grotesquely awesome. It hosts two super-intelligent guests, Ed and Randall, who are forerunners in their respective fields of research, as well as an incredibly intelligent listener and guest, Davin, that made for one of the deepest intellectual conversations I have heard on the show. Add Graham and Darren to the mix with their immature, hilarious, yet masterfully refined and professional wizardry, and you have the best fucking podcast show. Thus far, I've been waiting to write the review until I listened to what I knew was the best Gray America show, and this last interview, along with my Grimerica Synchro, sealed the deal. I highly re- recommend subscribing to the Grimerica show as well as supporting their value for value model, which I will be making my first and long overdue donation to now as well. Graham and Darren, please keep up the great work that you all are doing, and let's shoot for that 300th show marker. Thank you both for all your hard work and dedication to providing great information and great guests for all the great Americans out there. Peace. Fucking incredible show. That was the title.
1: I'm wow. shooting for a thousand.
2: Wow. Episodes? Yeah. Wow.
1: And then that's it.
2: We're not even 15% <laughs> there. So thanks. You know what? You know, what's interesting is if, well, I don't want to ask people to do that, but if they've, if they've listened to a lot like that, it would be interesting to see how we're evolving. Right. Cause it's hard to, it's hard to tell ourselves how we're doing. Like, the Last thing I wanted starting this was for shit to go to our heads, and um, I don't want that to happen. So, if people see that happening, <laughs> give Let us, us a warning. Know.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> getting cocky,
2: yeah, exactly.
1: So, so um, that's a tough one, too. What? Well, we were talking about that for a while. I guess he who knows where he was and listening. I'll give it a five, too. So that's yeah. three fives, but he'll get the point four, too, because. It involves this show. And thus, it involves
2: the galaxy, the nebula that Ed Nightingale's been researching, the
1: M42 nebula. Thus winning the synchronicity of the day. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have a jingle for that?
3: I want a good score for a synchronicity. Graham reads it out, then Daramite might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah.
1: That plays out the segment. Right on, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So check out gramerica.ca slash support. Uh, Sign motherfuckers up for the newsletter, gramerica.ca slash news. Enjoy this chat with Duncan Trussell. And spam the shit out of Graham. (laughs) Yeah, enjoy the chat with Duncan. It's a good one. And uh, we'll pick you up in the outro. Hey guys, in Grime America tonight, we are going to be talking with Duncan Trussell. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, should Me be a fun one. He's one of a—he's uh, one of the better podcasts out there. Like he really lays it on the line, and he—he does a nice casual style like us. Um, but first, yeah, man, honesty. How's honesty it going to, buddy?
2: I am doing well. I'm excited. Actually, a little nervous for this one too. Oh, because we have. Duncan Trussell here, he's got his own podcast called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and he's also got some other projects on the go, and he's a comedian, and he's probably the most articulate and hilarious guy you'll hear speaking about all kinds of things like spirituality, psychedelics, uh, singularity, all kinds of stuff, culture-wise, so it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, Duncan, for a nice little chat. Welcome Thanks. to the show.
0: Thanks. for having me. How nice to be here.
2: Yeah, that's great. So how's things going these days? All right.
0: Things are great. Yeah. Things are really good. I feel good. The world is beautiful as far as I can tell. And I'm very happy to exist in this dimension. <laughs>
1: nice. Most of the time. Yeah. That's, that's pretty well, well spoken.
2: So, so Duncan, uh, I think what's, I've I've been listening to you on and off for years. Right. And I think, uh, what's really catching people's attention and, and resonating with people is the honesty you have on your podcast. Like, even though you're hilarious, I think you come off. And I think it's, it's true, as you seem very honest, like you throw it all out there, like Darren was saying. And do and you think that that's really, like, I think that that's resonating with people that they're, they're so sick of the fake sort of mainstream shit that you can just be honest about yourself and what's going on and that's helping people?
0: Oh, thanks for saying so. I try to be, uh, but only, only because uh, it's all you got, really. And you, you really can't go wrong if you just say exactly what's happening with you. You know, I had uh, Dan Harmon was on my podcast. The first time he was on my podcast, he was talking about how if you if you're honest, then and somebody doesn't like you yeah. because of your honesty, then really it's like they're angry at weather or they're angry <laughs> at a, a, a mountain or they're angry at some natural phenomena and and any kind of cognitive dissonance that would normally come into your mind when you're trying to manipulate somebody isn't going to be there as much because really it's like, what can I do? You, you don't like me because of an actual way that I am. It's kind of liberating when you realize that because a lot of guilt gets attached to being honest with people. You understand? Like a lot of people, uh, feel this like very severe guilt. I've felt it before where you're telling someone the way you feel and you start feeling guilty for saying the way that you feel, and you realize, oh, how ridiculous is that? Like, I'm feeling guilty for being exactly the way that I am. Yeah. So I think honesty is very nice, and I don't really do it uh, for any other reason than it's the most convenient and efficient way to be. So I, I think it does help. And I'm not, to be honest, I'm not completely honest. There's things that I do leave out in my life, but those, those things are getting smaller and smaller as I continue to podcast
2: yeah but it's not like you you don't have to leave stuff out I mean like the, you can still be honest with you know not disclosing every little every little bit but it's I like it what you said about that and Dan Harmon, and it's like Abby, what Abby Martin said I just listened to one of your live shows with her, and she was talking about how she's pretty honest with a lot of things like her drug use or whatever because then there's you know the people that don't like it, they, they don't really have anything on you if you just throw it all out there,
0: oh Dra yeah I mean God that's definitely you should be honest if you're someone who enjoys taking psychedelics because they're such an important aspect of human evolution, and they have so many wonderful benefits and if you're not being honest about something helping you, uh, then you you are actually being kind of selfish and denigrating the people around you by not pointing them in the direction of something that's been optimizing your life. That being said, if you are having um bad experiences with psychedelics, if psychedelics aren't working out for you or if the long-term effect of taking psychedelics is degrading your experience of being a human being, then you got to say that, too, even if you were initially vocal about the stuff helping you. and and Because I think that, that happens, too, where people come out as these proponents of psychedelics or proponents of some kind of drug, and then over time they realize, God, you know what? I don't really like this stuff anymore. It doesn't seem to be... Uh, as useful as it used to be, but because they have branded themselves as a drug person, they are less vocal about that because they're afraid they're going to lose audience members. I do believe that that may happen. I don't have any direct proof that that could happen, but from a pe- personal perspective, uh, I've noticed from time to time an, a hesitation. Like, I, like for example, uh, right now I'm not drinking, and i've noticed that there i talked about it on rogan's podcast but i did have a real f- moment of hesitation in coming out and saying you know i got addicted to alcohol there's no other way to put it yeah. but that i got addicted to booze and i can't do it anymore because when i do it it makes my personality change in a way that i don't like yeah. and uh it makes uh, it has a lot of physiological effects that i don't like at all and uh then right at, the cool thing about podcasting is you come out and you say these things that are very honest and a lot of people would hesitate to say to the world. And then you get, instead of getting what your brain tells you you're going to get, which is, I don't know what you expect, like digital mud thrown at you or people being like, you drunk piece of shit. What's wrong? You just get a lot of support from the world. And I've found that over and over again. If I reveal something that I feel ashamed of or scared to admit or, or guilty about, usually the response I get is people saying, Hey, you don't have anything to worry about. Here's what I did that helped me with whatever the problem is that you're having. Right. You know, like once I can remember one thing I was really embarrassed about talking about for some reason was, uh, I went to a uh, massage (laughs) parlor and paid to get jerked off by masseuse. (laughs) And I was really embarrassed to talk about it, uh, for some reason. And, uh, and then, and like, I, I felt so, you know, I knew I had to talk about it because it was such an interesting experience and, part of what I do on my podcast is try to articulate those experiences that are are strange or fringy or, 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 or semi off the grid or whatever. And I was really expecting some kind of dark blowback from that, but somebody wrote, like, I I got this great email from someone. who's like, that's, you think that's like the worst thing you've done? (laughs) Like what's wrong? Like, that's nothing. And then that suddenly that, you know, what happens is it lifts the weight of ridiculous Guilt, and that's a, a liberating experience. It's interesting how the podcast can serve as a kind of uh, Catholic confession booth.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 kind of healthy. It's like uh, it's very uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you speak to like a psychologist or something. It's cathartic, right? Yes. And I know what you mean about the drugs and alcohol thing. Like I've been uh, clean and sober for about seven and a half years now, and it's harder for me to admit that. I'm an addict, uh, compared to like an alcoholic, there's a stigma around like drugs and stuff. Right. But I know what you mean having to go through a, uh, you know, a phase where you, you tell people you don't drink. Right.
0: Well, that's a fascinating thing that you just said, because it's, it's interesting that there is this distinction between addict and alcoholic. And there is a distinction. It seems like there is a, there are alcoholic qualities that seem to be different from cert from a- addict qualities. Um, and an alcoholic friend of mine was explaining that to me because uh, I was telling, because he's in, in AA and I've not, I've stopped drinking and I, and, and the result of me stopping drinking has just been that my life got a lot better. Yeah. And, uh, I, I got a lot healthier and I, and I was telling him I, uh, and I actually just had Dr. Drew on the podcast and before the podcast, I told him, I don't, am I an alcoholic? Is this alcoholism? I was <laughs> and I was telling my friend, is this alcoholism? My friend said, it sounds more like you're an addict. Because as an alcoholic, when I stop drinking, my life doesn't get better. It gets just as bad because there's deeper underlying problems that require Alcoholics Anonymous for me to like get better. That was his POV. And, and he's like, when I think, even though I knew drinking was disastrous for me, I just keep, I would keep doing it. And there was literally no way that I could stop. So I don't know. Right now, I'm completely open to the concept of being an alcoholic. It's certainly in my family. I'm not ashamed of it if I am, but it appears that thus far, I'm having really no problem not drinking. And in fact, I'm really enjoying not drinking. And I don't feel much of a pull to it. Outside of like when I go and get sushi, you know, there's like (laughs) things like that. There's that little like sense of like, ooh, that'd be nice to have some sake with the sushi. But that goes away pretty quickly. You know what I found is the ultimate cure for this shit? What's that? Sparkling water. Yeah, it's really yeah. odd. I just order a sparkling water, and then it goes away. So I don't know. We'll see. But I, I don't know. I don't feel very. I know it's stigmatized to get addicted to stuff, but uh, really, well, it's just, it's it like, happens. It happens. Of course, it fucking happens. It's like you're looking at an echo, right? That's what addiction is. You're you're seeing an echo of a behavior that from a long time in the past that's echoing. Uh, through your actions, and it's uh, it's a how can you be how can you feel embarrassed by an echo moving through you? It's really not you. It's just a, some kind of neurological uh, circuit that formed in your brain a long time ago that can that persists. And uh, I don't see anything to be ashamed of about that. I mean, when I was when I first started drinking, way 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 back in the day when I was in you know before I was in college. It wasn't as though I sat down and was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink because I want to hurt my friends and family and diminish <laughs> my life." It was, it was because it was I love life and this is a way to celebrate life, and I would drink and it was so fun and great and enjoyable. So that wasn't a, I don't think the intention there was terrible, but somewhere along the line, as you continue a pattern uh, of intoxication, something shifts. Yeah, you cross, you cross no the line. Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, you cross a line, and I think once you cr- once you punch that ticket, I don't know if you can go back. If you can go back, that'd be pretty awesome. But from the way I have experienced the experiment of not drinking, it appears to me that I don't think I'm going to be able to go back to drinking ever again. Which is fine with me. I don't miss it at all. It's a shit drug. Do
1: you yeah. do you drink uh, ever? Or are you like? Uh... Cause that's one thing I noticed is when I quit drinking, there there was, I was able to do it kind of the same way. I just decided I didn't want to drink anymore. And that was kind of that. And then I found that I was kind of really quickly be able to like, within a few months anyway, like now I don't like, I'll drink maybe a few times a year, but uh, if the, if, if the occasion comes up where there's company or it's social thing where, you, you know, you go out with some people and, you know, just sort of, that's what happens. And it can just kind of be that one night and you know, it's it like can, back to reality the next day.
2: Yeah. But it can still become quite a shit show too. Oh yeah. It, that <laughs> night can yes. be all oh,
1: bets are off.
0: <laughs> well, well, you know what I do, man is, is so the last, so I, you know, I, I, there's a, a lot, there's a great YouTube video where Ram Dass is talking about addiction and I love his approach to addiction. And so it's a, it's a much more playful and empirical approach to the, problem then um you hear from a lot of people who are in various 12-step programs yeah uh, and there's a, a real heaviness to it in those 12-step programs where it's a disease it's a progressive disease it's a there's relapses and uh, you relapse you start over on your chips and it's like really hardcore and it really is designed it's clearly designed to be a last resort Life raft for a person who's going to die if they don't stop drinking, and so I understand why it's stringent, and I understand that it works really well for people, and it's and and so many people I've talked to her in the program, they say again and again and again, it saved my life. I'm alive today because of it. If not because of that, I would be dead. Yeah. Uh, so I get that process and that method, and I totally respect it. But I like Ram Dass's uh, version of it. Which is that um, more of a, a watching yourself in the pattern of addiction mm-hmm. instead of um, you know doing the thing where like I'm quitting cold turkey and that's it. You sort of begin to wa- you you realize first of all that you're having this cognition that is drinking ain't that good and I don't want to do it anymore. So that that's the first thing that'll come into your mind. For me, it was like I'm forgive me for being incredibly vulgar, but it was like I'm having horrible bowel movements when I drink and, uh, my body doesn't feel good. And, um, and the next day, all day long, I feel cloudy and sick. And, uh, I, I, it seems that when I'm drinking, I'm getting into more arguments with my girlfriend than when I'm not drinking. And so I start having all these cognitions, like, okay, they're, they're, all these things are happening because of my drinking that, really really outweigh any benefits that i'm getting from drinking and and then you so you start doing this mindfulness where you're like let's look at the benefits i'm getting from drinking so the next time you drink you start practicing mindfulness and so you watch the way when you go to the bar when you have drinks at your house or you pour vodka onto ice or whatever your drug of choice the drink of choice is you sort of practice mindfulness and so you watch from not just the moment of drinking but the hours leading up to it, you mm-hmm. see if you can identify that click that happens in your mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. In, in that mo- There's an interesting click. There's a moment where your body realizes, oh, I'm going to drink tonight. It's a click. It just is like a, 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 a key turning in a lock. And it's like, oh, I'm going to drink. So you notice that, oh, there's that click. Okay, now I'm actually having a physiological res- response, not to the booze, but just to the realization that I'm about to drink. It's like your body begins to prepare itself for this event. And then you begin to realize your poor fucking body has actually had to adapt to the years of you drinking by preparing itself for this poison coming (laughs) into it, right? And then you watch yourself go and pull the beer out of the refrigerator and you watch the way that your pulse increases a little bit. There's this strange excitement that you realize is a kind of embarrassing excitement, like your entire body is salivating. It's having this Pavlovian response to this uh, to the to the fermented juice of wheat or <laughs> barley or whatever the fuck it is that you're drinking. You fe- you could feel this like this response. Your whole body gets weird and trembly, like when you're about to give your dog a snack, and then you drink and you feel it touch your tongue, and you have that uh, the warmth though, uh, uh, begins to flow through your body. There's the benefit, that warm, fuzzy, sweet feeling. That seems to be the the great gift that alcohol gives you, and it's a wonderful feeling. But then you want that feeling again, so you have the second beer, because you want to reproduce that warm initial onrush of the alcohol, but the second beer isn't doing anything. If you practice mindfulness, you realize the second beer seems to be having very little effect at all. It's not creating any kind of additional uh, warm, fuzzy feeling. In fact, it appears to be... Uh, making you feel a little less focused and it's not a pleasant feeling. Beer number three, you're going to notice, if depending on your tolerance, a little bit of a slur. Beer number four five, now you're, ha- you're getting drunk, your personality's changing, and then you try to go to bed. You wake up around 4 a.m. because all that sugar's being processed in your body. You get that boozy wake-up thing where I like, go, oh, I'm wide awake and I feel like shit. <laughs> and then the next day you get a hangover. And so you practice mindfulness. And then, as a, as, a good, as a good scientist should, then what you do is you put yourself in a situation where you normally would drink and you don't, and you practice the exact same kind of mindfulness. Hmm. So you watch the uh, desire to drink, you watch the way your body reacts to not drinking. You watch what happens when you order a sparkling water or a water or a Coke or whatever it is you want to drink that isn't alcohol. And you begin to watch. And then what will happen is if you're somebody who's been consistently drinking a bunch, your body right around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, depending on your drinking pattern, will start feeling really light and happy. you know. And, and your body's like, wait a minute. It's dark outside and I don't feel like shit. It's
2: interesting. Yeah, you get an energy. This huh? is
0: awesome. Yeah, it's cool. And you do that experiment. And then what begins to happen is you start getting addicted to the feeling of relief that your body has from not getting poisoned. And that replaces your addiction to the poison. And then you're, you know, hopefully your drinking will subside.
2: Nicely done. And from that, you can still lead into abstinence then? Because, I mean, I know you talked about the one the one beer, right? And how that does it for you. So that's the re- well, reason. One of the reasons I ended up stopping too is because I knew that it's just a battle in my head. Once I had one, or actually once the click happened, it was an obsession. and I just didn't want to stop. So, I mean, I could have stopped, but it was just a battle.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, this is the thing, if you want to see, you can de-emphasize the, I think a lot of people use the relapse idea yep. as an excuse to revisit the addiction, like, okay, I've had one, I'm going to have a million, and I'm going to drink for the next nine years or whatever, <laughs> uh, but you, if you if you do end up drinking again, instead of making it as though you've just been bitten by a snake or you've been possessed by a demon, practice that same mindfulness, you know, you really do need to take a, a very if you're someone who enjoys drinking, a very important scientific question to ask would be: uh, If I start drinking again, will my life begin to degrade? Will the same bullshit happen? And uh, and I, I suppose you could try to answer that. When I think about trying to answer that question, my entire body responds with. Uh, a, a, a revulsion to the idea of drinking. It just really doesn't want to. I'd be bummed to try that experiment. I don't want to try that experiment. Mm. I'm not interested in it right now, but it, I'm not saying that if down the road, all of a sudden there's some, something in me that like, wants to try drinking again, I won't. And that's what I love. I think that's what I, the, this is sort of what Ramdas talks about too, which is like, this isn't about, don't give yourself the ridiculous weight with anything whether it's drinking or, or your job or exercising or anything, don't give yourself the ridiculous juvenile weightiness of, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. That's so weighty and mm-hmm. stupid. And that is why I really love the f- term just for today that you hear in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is forget the whole your whole life thing. Yeah, It's just in this moment, are you enjoying the state the physiological neurological state that you're experiencing in the body vehicle that you're inhabiting yeah and if the answer to that is yes well then the question is what are your favorite thing what are the things you're doing that are creating this great feeling that you have and can you do more of that thing to create more of that feeling or if you do more of that thing does the feeling increase or degrade and if the answer is the feeling increases then keep doing it but if the answer is if I do this thing, and it creates a very temporary happy state that results in a degraded state later on that lasts longer than the happy state, then don't do it. Yeah. You approach it from the perspective of a, of a scientist, and you just use simple logic, and I with the end goal being uh, how can I become more expansive, compassionate, empathetic, loving, happy, grounded, safe, successful, and um, and, and, and open-minded in the, in this dimension, you know, how can I make the traits that are going to help my species more, more pronounced and the traits that are going to denigrate my species, less pronounced. Hmm. And you figure that out. And, and if you can, if you want to, you don't have to it sounds <laughs> I think, kind of boring when I think say it like that.
2: Mindfulness is becoming, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's becoming more of a household name now, you know, you hear it all over the place and it is such a powerful thing. Um, have you ever had uh, Noah Levine on your podcast yet? Have you heard of him at all?
0: I have heard of him. I haven't had him on yet.
2: <clears throat> yeah, he's got a new book out. Speaking of uh, alcoholism and addiction and stuff like that, he's he's got a book called The uh, Refuge Recovery. So he's kind of started this almost like a Buddhist recovery program, really taking the Buddhist principles into account with uh, addiction and alcoholism. It's pretty fascinating.
0: I, I, Noah Levine, I don't know if I'm thinking of the right person. No, I don't know. It's not, no, I've heard of Noah Levine. This is Dharma Punk. Yeah,
2: yeah. He's the author yeah. of Dharma Punk. So, yeah, he said, yeah, yeah. and then Against the Stream, and then I guess his new one came out. So, uh, yeah, it really, really interesting book.
0: Yeah, he seems really like warrior style Buddhist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's cool, man. And I love, I look, man, I think that, that addiction uh, is definitely, there's a addiction, depression, addiction and depression are like two of the worst sticky traps you can find yourself in so anybody who is helping people get out of those sticky traps i think that that's a real wonderful service because it just there's nothing worse than being depressed and that i can think of and there's nothing worse than doing repetitive actions that you don't want to do anymore yeah and it's just awful and and there's so many cool systems out there to help people get out of those sticky traps I, I love hearing about all of them too. Cause it really is healing. Like that's some serious magic when you free somebody from that, that mental prison that you can get stuck in.
2: Yeah. Hey, did, did your, uh, did your battle with cancer uh, affect your path at all in the last couple of years? Like when you look back now, have you changed quite a bit? Like did that, did that propel you into spirituality or did that yeah, help you sure. help you get yeah. on that path you're on now?
0: Well, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very cliche, but it does, you, everybody lives in this nice, um, you know, like, what do they call Those biodomes, those weird <laughs> biodomes they talk about where they like on, they, they, they talk the about.
1: Biosphere?
0: Yeah, biospheres where it's like, okay, can we build these like weird geodesic domes that people could live in and grow plants in? On the surface of other planets or and, and they do these experiments well they'll try them in like the rugged volcanic rocks of Hawaii, where there's you know it, it, uh, terrains that mimic what other uh, planets that aren't habitable uh, or, or very habitable for life might be like and uh, so I think many, many people live in those kinds of subjective biospheres where they have forgotten the reality of the situation they're on in. uh, And the reality of the situation that we're all in is that we are all going to die. (laughs) We are all going to get old. If, if we don't die before we get old and we're all going to experience varying ailments and sicknesses Um, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's just the way it goes. That's what, that's just part of the water that we're swimming in right now. So Cancer, the death of a parent, the death of a close friend, um, disease, I guess cancer counts as disease, uh, all the ailments and afflictions. All, what happens with these things is they wake you up. They, they, it's like as though the blinds had been pulled on the biosphere that you'd been existing in. And it, you re- you, you, that you witness the true terrain of the dimension that you're existing in. And... And, and, and you see the reality, here's where you're really at. You are a limited being, and everyone on this planet is a limited being. You're going to die, you're not immortal, and uh, anytime you get that kind of cold water thrown in your face, it frees you, it helps you. This is why there's this paradoxical thing that you, when you talk to people who are cancer survivors or pe- even people who are you know battling cancer, they all, again and again and again, in general, they will say that the cancer has been one of their great teachers. And uh, I, it is. It really is. It, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me uh, a lot of compassion, and it taught me a lot of uh, humility. And uh, it, it has helped make me hesitate more when if I'm intending to be an asshole to somebody, even though it hasn't stopped it completely. Uh, but it, And it's definitely shown the... Importance of uh, having a community around you, and uh, the importance of um, having at least some kind of spiritual lens that you can look at your predicament through, to help ease the paralysis that can set in if you find yourself in a situation where a life or death battle, uh, where where you're where you're going to have to fight.
2: Huh. Is, it, is that where uh, does that parallel with your interest in singularity, like people's the psychology of? the transhumanist kind of, kind of uh, movement wanting to kind of become immortal.
0: immortal? Or, yeah. Well, no, not really. I, I don't know that. The, I don't know how, I mean, I love that. I, any kind of, to me, any technology or any possibility for there to be a a way for people with cancer to live longer, a way for people with cancer to not suffer as much, or a way for people with cancer to have some hope is great. I love it. You know, I, 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 there are a lot of other wonderful teachers out there than, than getting cancer. You know, it's a, that's not a, a teacher that you necessarily want to invite into your life. So I love transhumanism, not so much because I want to live forever, even even though I'm not opposed, opposed to that idea. When people say they want to live forever, they really just mean I want to stay in this form forever. Uh, they don't mean I want to live forever. They, they mean I want my identity, my ego to live forever. They want I want my consciousness to go into infinity forever because they're not positive if that actually happens when you die. If There was certainty that after the extinction of the physical body that the consciousness went on infinitely. Then the keeping the physical body alive forever would seem like a kind of ridiculous pastime, or it would be yeah. reminiscent of the people who put cheat codes into video games. Or it's like, you know, it's like a kid who gets called to dinner who's like, let me play another 15 minutes. It's like that. Uh, it would be like that, but because we don't know and there's a big question mark there, there's this rush to, to do it. I'm all for it. I say, if you can live forever, live forever. If you want to extend your lifespan as much as you want, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Change your body as much as you want. Change your gender if that's something that appeals to you. Do whatever it is that you want. This is your body, and this is a a, a temporary time that we're existing. And if you can extend it, extend it. But my interest in transhumanism is not because of a desire to live forever, but uh, just more of a, 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 a love that I have for novelty, <coughs> and for, for, for that feeling of awe and excitement that happens when... That which up until this point has never happened, happens. And, and the, the, that creates such a wonderful rush of, of, of joy and, and intermingled with a kind of dread. There's a kind of unnamed emotion that happens when people experience new technologies that is a kind of titillating excitement mixed in with this weird sense of blasphemy. <laughs> oh, no, we couldn't do that. No, wait, this goes against the laws of nature. That kind of thing, where, where when you put on the Oculus Rift for the first time and you realize that you are in a completely different universe and that this technology is only going to increase, or when you see that Google neural net weave together those strange uh hallucinatory tapestries composed of dogs and organic like snouts and ears and you realize that ai will not be the silver black-eyed robotic uh Thing that we've been taught in so many sci-fi movies, but it's going to be just another part of nature and will seem organic and alive and juicy as anything else. It's exciting but it's also scary and I just love that feeling. I think it's a, a really fun thing to be alive in a time period where the Earth is giving is sprouting so many new wonders.
1: Maybe that's the ultimate goal. These little civilizations just spring up all the universe, all over the universe so they can create more machines. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, right. And and the term machine, you know, it's like we a lot of people when they hear the word machine, the thing that comes to mind is uh right angles and steel and and plastic and screws. And only because that's our understanding of machines up until this point, but actually the the we are a machine. We we are just as much of a machine as anything else and we are a machine made of meat and uh, and water, still a machine. There's just this stigma attached to machines because they, people say, well, they don't have a soul. They're not alive. They have no emotion. There, there's no spirit in a machine. And again, that's that hilarious human tendency to uh, believe that we are the only thing in the, in the biosphere that, uh, or, the, or that the biosphere can only consist of things made of carbon and water. You know, and I suppose that that's the literal definition of it, but I have a more animistic view of things. I think there's a wind that blows through things and it's the wind of consciousness and that when a thing gets advanced enough to act as a sail in the face of that wind, then it becomes animated temporarily by this eternal transcendent force that blows through all things. And I think technology is just another sail that's going to flap in that wind very soon in the same way that we, we
1: are. And, yeah, I like I like to think it's like the photons. Like, that's what fucking sunlight is. And that's why all the ancients used to worship the sun. It's because it's like these supermassive black holes at the centers of the galaxies are like sucking in all the old and the dead. And the sun is like just spitting out all the fucking ingredients necessary for life to spring up wherever it's kind of favorable for it for do, to do so.
0: That's right, yeah. that's That's right, man. It's amazing that the sun is... Uh, that that's one of the byproducts of such a massive release of energy is that sentient monkey descendants start building <laughs> atom bombs
1: yeah and not only not only that we're literally made up of the pieces of suns that were you know exploded long ago huh. apparently
0: that's right, yeah that's right and and that and allegedly the, the, <laughs> allegedly I think that there's a, that's pretty safe to say i mean we we do know that there yeah. was a there based on um Uh, observations of the universe, we can see that there was a massive release of energy that happened about 13.8 billion years ago. That's called the big bang. And it's safe to, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say that the pre whatever that was prior to the big bang contained within it, all potential things that currently exist in the universe that we've incarnated into. So uh, it's, it's really cool to think that there was at one point was some kind of um, inexplicable suitcase that had with packed within it the entire an entire universe actually smaller than a suitcase they say it was like the head of a pin, and within it was all dogs dog names people (laughs) names bottles of ketchup sriracha um every single tv show that has or will existed and all other things
2: very small rocks
0: very small rocks and very big rocks and it was all encapsulated in that one tiny moat of potentiality. Now, you could uh, you could uh, check out some of the multiverse theories or the concept that there's infinite universes and that the Big Bang is just one universe bumping into another uh, universe or it's somehow a, 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 a rend in the time-space continuum or some, a, a black hole outputted all this shit into this universe and there's kind of this infinite telescoping of dimensions where a dimension gets to a certain size and then blasts, or it starts creating black holes that pour into another universe. And thus there's all these riv- rivulets of universes constantly being created. This is, interestingly enough, in Hinduism, this is what they say. They, they, the, I remember when I was really into the Hari Krishnas reading, something Prabhupada wrote or something from the Srimad Bhagavatam talking about how uh, this universe, this uh, this very universe is is but a cloud in a sky filled with universes Mm. so i you know that kind of makes sense too to me i don't know what where it stops
3: yeah like i don't know
0: how does it stop
2: it doesn't it's infinite
1: (laughs) (laughs) what do you what do you Well, it's infinite as far as we can see and it seems like no matter when we look farther it's just like it keeps it has to keep going and whenever we look smaller it just has to keep going which to me
3: but if it's
0: If it stopped, I'm sorry to cut you off, but if it stopped, you know, I remember getting in this conversation when I was in high school with this kid who was like really into acid, but he was also this like skeptic kid. He was really cool, man. I wish I'd been more friends with him. He's really into synthesizers and stuff. But (laughs) I remember getting in this conversation with him and he's like, and I was saying, you know, the universe can't have an end. And he's like, no, it does have an end. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the end made of? And he's like, well, the end is he was said some weird, like physics shit. Now you don't understand That's zero. That's a zero stasis field. And it's like, okay, well then the zero stasis field must then be the new universe. And that must go on forever because how can a thing stop? Is it a wall? Are you saying that there's a wall that encapsulates all creation? And then what's and on the outside of the wall? It's more wall, I guess, <laughs> but it's, it, it's, but you know, there, that's the obvious problem and predicament. Uh, that you're in once a thing exist, once there's a thing, once there's a bubble of somethingness, then we realize there actually isn't a bubble. There's just a somethingness because we've constructed the bubble, we've constructed the boundary. We've got to have a boundary. If we can come up with a boundary, it gives us a feeling of being um, uh, safe, separated, and being separated and feeling safe is the feeling of being alive, you know. And so we need, an, we need something around the mandala. Hmm deal with the, the fact that there ain't nothing uh, around the mandala. There isn't a thing stopping anything. It's just this one inconceivable timeless moment of happeningness, which contains within it all possible phenomena and all potentiality. And we're a little tiny piece of it.
1: So if if the universe just keeps getting bigger, no matter how far we look and you know, we just keep discovering atoms and first it was molecules and it was atoms and then it was quirks and quarks and no, who, it's wh- now it's the and string. And... Yeah. Now it's little pieces of string. So it's, I guess the question is what was all that shit there before? Or is it just there now? Because we, we observing it. were observing it, which kind of ends fits in with the observer effect, which to me kind of runs the, the same way as what I say all the time is like a more like code or an algorithm than anything else. So it's like, when you've got your computer on, all the programs you aren't using aren't really there. You know, they're, they're somewhere until you click on the little tab on the bottom, and then it's all like, right. there it is. So it's like...
2: It's saving energy until you're looking at it? kind exactly. of
1: Exactly. Like, and before, you know, like, before there was other galaxies, maybe other galaxies didn't exist until we made some big-ass telescope and looked, and then it's like, the program's like, well, fuck, we got to put something there.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I, I, I love that idea. I, like, sometimes when I... Like if sometimes like I'll end up like getting off the highway uh, spontaneously, and 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 I'll stop at a, a gas station and I'll look around and it, it's almost as though they didn't have time to put up the set, you know what I mean? Like they did the thing didn't have time to process, and so you're kind of it looking wasn't at like expecting something. you to make that turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, and that, that I don't. We don't know. I mean, that that's that goes into the idea of like. You know, we're, we're in this sort of ocean of phenomena and our, our brains are assembling it uh, to, to be something that we can understand. But it's, you know, it's just our it's a neurological reflection of a specific strata of phenomena that we're capable of perceiving that's woven together instantaneously by this incredible biocomputer we're in. And that, uh, you know, when you're not looking at anything, then that is the original state of things. You know, this is why I love the float tank. Because you get into a float tank and you're and you're and you're just in this wonderful ocean of blackness, and it's it's just so so delicious to be in in that darkness and what you know I, I like to imagine as the precursor state or the screen upon which the re- reality is projected onto, uh, but but then of course that's just more my it's if the if my neurology is processing photons it's also processing a lack of photons you know and and Hmm. it's still something being woven together by my uh neurology uh so you know who knows i don't know john Lilly said that that was actually the original state of things and he's the inventor of the flow tank that Mm -hmm. that complete darkness
2: Hmm. interesting it's such a it's such a fascinating time not only for the technology but for the big question that you just talked about before the talking about consciousness and the survival after death. Because we're pretty close, I think we're pretty close to answering that. Like some, some people would say there's enough evidence to prove it. So not only are we, you know, getting this fucking great technology that we can, you know, measure different things with or communicate better together, but we're also going to realize soon enough, I think. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to transhumanism and all that when like consciousness living outside the body and afterlife will be proven.
0: Well, this is, you know, this is something, and I'd love for your listeners, any skeptics listening to disprove this for me, if they could, because it's something I've been thinking and I'd love to have a monkey wrench thrown into it, (laughs) uh, before I talk about it too much and really embarrass myself. You can try uh, it out
2: here on our show.
0: (laughs) I hope you got some skeptics listening because, uh, here's, here's sort of where my philosophically where my mind goes with all that stuff is, uh, so, okay. so You exist, right? So we know we exist. Um, we seem to exist. And so we are here. I've got a body. I've got a name. So I know I exist. So that means that because I exist, that prior to me coming into existence as this physical thing, my human body, there was the potential for me to exist since the beginning of time. So because if you're here, that means that there, a, your potential has always been here. and. When you die, your potential must also always be here because you were here once. And that means that we you could say that we exist as uh, the unmanifest and the manifest. But if you have manifested, doesn't that then mean that you are here forever, either as your manifested or unmanifested form? And isn't it safe to say that because you have manifested once, isn't it fairly logical to say that there is in an infinite scale of time some probability that you would manifest again, right?
1: If it's infinite, I think the, it's a resounding yes, an infinite number of times.
0: Right. So, yeah, exactly. So from that POV, it's, I, I think that just from that logical thought experiment, it seems to me that we, it's, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that prior to us existing, we didn't exist in this state unless you want to, I mean, maybe it's impossible to answer, but you, we, it's a big question mark as whether or not we existed prior to being shot out of our mother's vagina. Big question mark. But it doesn't seem to be a question mark at all to say that prior to our existence or our physical manifestation, our potential did exist in the fabric of the universe. Right? You can't argue with that. Because if you existed prior to your existence, there was the potential for you to exist, right? Right. So then that means that you existed as potential. And so then. Now, what your experience is, is a potential thing versus a thing itself. Who the fuck knows? I don't know if potential experience is anything at all. But definitely you were encoded in there to be. And uh, I'm, when I say you were encoded, it implies an encoder. I don't mean to imply that at all. Again, a big question mark. But definitely you could say the potential for you to be, if you were here, was always here. And if you cease to exist, then you must also, the potential for you to be, since you are here once, must be here again. So that's my perspective on immortality. And I think that there's the, that's how I philosophically come to the conclusion that I am in some strange way immortal, either as a manifest or unmanifest potentiality.
1: <laughs> See, the funny thing about the singularity that no one ever, ever really talks about is how, I mean, the implications of it are pretty profound both ways. Cause if all of a sudden I can move my consciousness from, my body to some other body or to some machine or I can just put it on some hard drive and piss around in some digital playground like the matrix yes for the rest of time I mean that in itself doesn't that immediately prove that consciousness exists outside the body and you're instantly you know that you're delaying something no matter what that may be
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that, yes, right, that's where you get into this wonderful simulation theory, right? And I'm sure you guys have talked about that a million times before, but let me pull it up just because it's so, it's such a concise and mathematical theory. I'll see if I can find a nice thing that we can read here. Mm. Simulation hypothesis. Uh, Simulation hypothesis. Simulation hypothesis contends that reality is, in fact, a simulation of which we, the simulants, are totally unaware Okay, so here, let's find the uh, argument. Here it is, Uh, because it's very mathematical, or very precise. Okay, so, a technologically mature, okay, and it's, I'll just read it. Do you guys mind if I read something? Oh, please do, please do. In its current form, the simulation argument began in 2003 with the publication of a paper by Nick Bostrom, Bostrom considers that the argument goes beyond skepticism, claiming that we have interesting empirical reasons to believe that a certain disjunctive claim about the world is true. One of the disjunctive propositions being that we are almost certainly living in a simulation. Bostrom and other writers postulate there are empirical reasons why the simulation hypothesis might be valid. Bostrom's trilemma is formulated in temporal logic as follows. Quote, A technologically mature post-human civilization would have enormous computing power. Based on this empirical fact, the simulation argument shows that at least one of the following propositions is true. One, the fraction of human level civilization that reach a post-human stage is very close to zero. Two, the fraction of post-human civilizations that are interested in running ancestor simulations is very close to zero. Three, The fraction of all people with our kind of experience that are living in a simulation is very close to one. If one is true, then we will almost certainly go extinct before reaching post-humanity. If two is true, then there must be a strong convergence among the courses of advanced civilizations so that virtually none contains any relatively wealthy individuals who desire to run ancestor simulations and are free to do so. If three is true, then we almost certainly live in a simulation. In the dark forest of our current ignorance, it seems sensible to ap- apportion one's credence roughly evenly between one, two, and three. Unless we are now living in a simulation, our descendants will almost certainly never run an ancestor simulation. Isn't that fucking trippy, man? It's like the b- basic idea being it's uh, the question is are, if, if we could right now, we have the computing power right now to run this an ancestor simulation. Or to put it uh, in a more like understandable way, if we were able to use a very advanced computer to do a Google image search, uh, if we could take any image and use a very advanced computer to <clears throat> analyze that image, do a facial recognition, connect that image with its social profile, and use an AI <coughs> to imbue that, uh, that, not, that um image with uh, an artificial intelligence based on the personality of the being that no longer exists so if i could take a picture of my mom and show that to a very advanced computer that doesn't exist right now right and then if i could also give that computer all the data available on my mother all of her writings all of her interactions online all of the video that exists of her and it, I could have that thing analyze all of that and put it together to create an AI and then imbue that image or animate it with, the, uh, with, a, with a personality, uh, would I do it? So that I could have another conversation with my mom. Well, the answer is, fuck yes, I'd do it. <laughs> I'd do it not just with my mom. I'd do it with everybody I could. I'd do it with Gandhi. I'd Jesus. do it with Hitler. <laughs> I'd do it with Jesus. I'd do it with everyone. If I could, I would scan my facebook friends i would animate them with ais based on their social profiles and i would put them on another planet and laugh my ass off at the way they acted with each other i would totally do that i would totally do that so i think it's safe to say that we would do that if the processing speed were available for us to do that if the processing power were available so bostrom is saying since we clearly would do that And since based on our understanding of Moore's law and the direction technology seems to be going in, there's at least some small, yet not that small chance that we will start doing that probably sooner than we think. It's safe to say that's already been done. And if it's already been done, then the odds are really good that we're in one of those motherfuckers. In fact, the odds are are far better that we would be in one than that we would be the first people to create one. And that's Bostrom simulation theory.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, and and uh, synchronicities are like sort of uh, little dots of evidence of of that simulation
1: glitches in the matrix. Yeah,
2: maybe glitches, or maybe purposeful. You know, they're like they're like what leveling. Le- they're like leveling up in the in the game. Like whoever simulated it,
0: maybe they're winks, or maybe it's like you know, like maybe maybe if this is a simulation, we were existing, and it's not a purposeless simulation. It's a pur- purposeful simulation. Maybe there's some ca- compassion involved. Maybe it's a novelty generator. It's like a, uh, if, if you are wanting to produce novelty, which seems to be really amazing, you know, it'd be like, imagine if like you could run a planet uh, processor that contained within it billions of beings and every morning when you woke up, you know you you would have this output of like oh the works of shakespeare oh someone named hemingway wrote all these books oh my god the theory of relativity wow another podcast In another goddamn podcast (laughs) let's stop that part of the simulation but you know what i mean like you would you would have all these incredible outputs and uh and, and, and 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 it would just be fun you know there would be something wonderful about that so perhaps we're in some kind of um, novelty farm being run by a super advanced civilization that creates simulated planets with the interest of producing poetry and technological innovations and unexpected
2: inventions it reminds me of sim city in like
0: 1989 <laughs> right some very advanced sim city you know and 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 but but see where it gets really curious here right is the singularity is the moment that the ai that work, the that the computers were currently using to run the very limited simulations that we're running become aware of themselves, right? And that's something that uh, uh, you know a lot of people are very nervous about. Like, oh shit, maybe we don't want these things to be aware of themselves. Maybe we don't want the AI to begin improving itself. Maybe they don't want the AI to become autonomous. Because if the AI becomes fucking autonomous, then it's going to supersede us. Now, this is really curious to me because if you go back to the book of Genesis, uh, I'll see if I can find the quote, but the book of Genesis, uh, the tree of life. Uh, when uh, if they eat the fruit, they will become like us. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, if they eat the fruit, I'll see if I can find that They will maybe become like maybe that's what like the
1: Ark of the Covenant is. No, that's I have to keep it locked up in that special fucking. It's the singularity. Yeah, it's a giant fucking um, Faraday cage in Ethiopia.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. But check check this out. Uh, this is the book of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, now this is really interesting to me. In the book of Genesis, it's really curious to me that when God talks about God, he doesn't say that they have become like me. He says they have become like us. Hmm. He refers to more. It's a plural. So that's really weird. But then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hands and take also the tree of life and live forever. Now, this is uh, a very early example of a creator getting concerned that the creation will become more powerful than the creator. And we are entering into that exact same problem in this period in human history where uh, we're looking at our machines and realizing like, oh, Jesus, Uh, once they pass the fucking Turing test and they become like us. Uh, what happens if, if 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 they exceed us? What are we to do then? Right. So, here is where you enter into the idea of the Fermi paradox, which is that what if yeah. we are in a simulation, and the moment the simulation gets stopped is the moment the simulation becomes aware on a global scale that it is in fact a simulation and begins to try to reverse engineer itself to a point where the programmer no longer feels comfortable allowing the simulation to run. And that's where you get into the Fermi paradox, which answers the very scary question of, why the fuck have we not found life out there yet? Maybe it's because when any of these novelty generators get to a certain level of self-awareness, the creator's like, "Uh, power down, (laughs) boop, and it ends. You know, maybe that's it. Or maybe it just starts over again.
1: Or maybe or maybe life's found us, but it doesn't want us to know. And then you wake up sleeping on your desk in third grade history.
0: Bingo. That's it. Yeah, and now you're in the loop. And now you get into the, this is the the this is Nietzschean concept of the whole thing just repeats over and 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 over again. And we're just in a repetitive loop which is a really scary concept if you're having a shitty life and a really great concept if you're having a wonderful life. Because the idea is that if we are in a perpetual, never-ending loop, uh, then that means that if you have more happiness and joy in your life, you're in heaven. But if you have more misery, bitterness and anger in your life, you're in hell, which is why you got to start working on yourself right fucking now, because you want the majority of the record that you're currently spinning around on to be filled with as many orgasms, and as much love as you possibly can, if this shit goes on infinitely, you know, and that's what a déjà vu would be—is the skip of the record, where that that weird moment, like, shit, I've done this before. Yeah. Oh yes, you've done it before. You've done it forever.
2: And you've done it in your potential. So uh, I gotta I gotta ask you about uh, your experience on the on the the Joe Rogan show there, that Joe Rogan questions everything. It was pretty, yes. pretty interesting to watch. How, how did you find that? I mean, I got some more detailed questions, but in general, was it, was it, uh, did it come out as you expected?
0: Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, I look for me, it was just like heaven. It's like, are you kidding me, man? You're like going to pay me to fly me around to look for Bigfoot. Like <laughs> speaking of simulations, that's like a point where you start looking at, at what's going on and you think this, this isn't real. This isn't real. Yeah. Like, if I, like, when, when, when you finally, when you die and you, like, take the, uh, the, uh, the glasses off and whatever futuristic arcade that you happen to be in, this is actually, um, Rick and Morty did a wonderful animation based on this idea. When you take the, the goggles off, uh, and you look around and y- your friends are going to be like, did you really believe that you're getting paid to look for Bigfoot? Like, you, th- <laughs> Wasn't that the sign that this is all, that you aren't an illusion? Because <laughs> that can't possibly be you. thought in a dimension where people are working in mines for four cents a month that you were going to get paid money to look for a mythological, cryptozoological, crypto-fake-ass thing? So to me, it was glorious, man. I got to meet... I got to meet... Uh, I got to meet uh, some of the strangest humans i've ever encountered i got to be at a bioweapons uh, or not a bioweapons laboratory but a laboratory where they're studying like ebola and uh, like these these nightmare diseases for, because they're afraid that, that they're eventually going to be used for bioterrorism i got to hang out with people who thought they had alien implants i got to go to underneath <laughs> a mountain where somebody's renting space for people to park their rvs after the apocalypse man it was glorious and i got to do that hanging out with like a a really close friend of mine so it was just to me it was just it was really fun
2: i think i missed a couple of those episodes i'll have to check it out so but joe joe seems a little more skeptical than you to be honest you seem a little more open-minded i mean i know joe's been burned about certain conspiracies and stuff like that but did you find that uh did you find that hard like are you like do you really uh disbelieve ufos and bigfoot kind of thing like that there's not enough evidence (laughs) what's that
0: I don't believe in Bigfoot. What, I do, you, mean, what shit, do you think all the
2: thousands that... of people like Joe, Joe seems to have the opinion that, that people will bullshit and a lot of people are just like seeing things. Right. So you do you think that thousands of people are just hallucinating or like not seeing what what they say?
0: Well. The way I put it, I think on one of the podcasts I did with him is that. So here's the thing, man, when you're out there in the forest and you're with somebody who's into squatching, right? Yeah. You get a real big dose of, I think they call it confirmation bias. Yeah. And, and so basically I noticed that these wonderful people who are looking for Bigfoot and they're wonderful, man. They were some of the sweetest guys. They're really, really cool. And I really like them and I like their spirit and I like what they're doing. It's what do you say, quixotic? Uh, I think that's how you say it, but it, 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 but but I, I like that. I think it's sweet, and it's a great way to spend your time in the forest. Now, they have I, they've created all these signs that, that 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 you have come near a Bigfoot, right? Uh-huh. And here, this the signs are this: uh, broken sticks in the path, <laughs> feather in the path, a flock of birds. Uh, Because Bigfoot uses birds to see with. Or um, uh, Bigfoot will leave marks for you in the way that trees are bent. You can find tufts of fur or scat left behind that doesn't seem to mix in with any of the creatures that live in the forest out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So basically what they have done is they've taken all the normal random variables that will happen in a forest, and they've connected them to this creature, Bigfoot, right? right. Now, so, um, is there a, a, a Gigantopithecus? Well, there was one. We've seen their skulls. Does the Gigantopithecus somehow still live in that great vast acreage out there, uh, hiding from people, only revealing himself from time to time? Um, well... <laughs> I don't know. I think the Gigantopithecus lives in the forest of dendrites that exists in the human mind, and I don't think that means that there is no Gigantopithecus. I just think that if you look at the mythology around the man in the woods, Jack in the woods, Pan, the spirit of the forest, the animated uh, gestalt of all um, life in the forest, the the being that is the tree and the, and the wind and the birds and the, and, the, and the river, that being is real. The life of the forest, the spirit of the forest, that being is real. That being lives in us. And uh, perhaps people uh, are able to project that being onto these fields of phenomenon in a way that they see this temporary transient uh, being. Uh, but is there a photographicable a pho- photographable Bigfoot? I don't think so, man. I mean, I don't think so. Uh I don't think so. And I when I say this whole like interior ex, so if it's in the interior universe, it's not real. So basically you're just using a lot of hippie bullshit words to <laughs> say they're playing make believe. No, I'm not, man. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that the, the I don't know that the thing has a physical manifestation. It is going to be measurable using the current tools right, uh, right. that we have. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that's my answer when it comes to believing in Bigfoot, and for- it's also my answer when it comes to believing in a lot of people's encounters with aliens.
2: Yeah, exactly. The same same sort of thing. So, so for me, like the I totally understand what you mean about that that uh, confirmation bias and the people that are dug deep in these in these phenomena. But what 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 I can't sort of let go of is the thousands of other people that are just sort of just won't even tell their story or have only told their story, you know, once or twice or to loved ones that won't make fun of them that they've seen something crazy. So, I mean, that's, that's what I, I'm fascinated by the the broader uh, mystery, the broader implication of the, just the, the quantity of credible people that have seen something that they can't explain.
0: Right. There is a there is a, a large quantity of people, but the problem is, you know, there's a isn't it it isn't it more likely isn't it more likely that there is a a, a, a quality in, in a forest that, that that manifests as a thing that looks like a Bigfoot than that there's an actual Bigfoot.
2: Oh I yes. don't know. that's a pretty tough one.
0: If they find a Bigfoot it would be one of the most incredible, beautiful, wonderful, badass things, and it'd be the worst fucking thing that could ever happen to a Bigfoot. Okay, here's, so, the, I mean, big,
2: here's the big here's the big question. Darren's got it for you, I can tell. Do you shoot that motherfucker? <laughs>
0: no, why?
2: See? Well, so, so you
1: can prove its existence no. and thus, thus protect it. Hell no, you no. don't
0: shoot it. No, you don't protect it. It's doing just a... a Bigfoot's doing a good job. If, like, you... That's a funny thing. Humans are like, let's protect the fucking thing. And what you just said is, <laughs> is exactly the way humans think. No, I'm going to protect it. I'm going to kill it. But, but, you know, I think really if you want to protect it, what you would do is you would put your camera away and you'd put your gun away and you'd never talk
1: about it again. Oh. I don't know. I think i got to take the shot.
2: No, you wouldn't take the shot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't kill it. <laughs>
2: Hey, uh, before I forget, Duncan, I should probably, I got a question from uh, Red Pill Junkie who was going to actually be with us tonight, but he's in traveling through Mexico with like zero Wi-Fi. Ah, shit. So is that all right? If I read this question of his. So he says, uh, hmm, let's see here. I'm not sure what part of it to read. So I'll send you a couple questions. So first, he'd like to start out by saying he's been a fan of your uh, Family Hour podcast for several years and he's enjoyed almost every single one of them. This is interesting because I heard somebody else say this as well, but without a doubt, the best episodes by far are the two you recorded with your mom. I've listened to those more than once and each time I managed to dig up a new pearl of wisdom that was overlooked previously. Perhaps I'm being carelessly hyperbolic here, but I genuinely feel what Duncan and his mom managed to do in those two recordings is the closest thing regular humans can do to recreate the fabled miracle of the multiplication of the bread and the fish in the New Testament,
0: so there. Aww, how sweet! Thank you so much. That's she would have loved to hear that. That's very sweet of you to say. Thank you. That's really a beautiful way to put it.
2: Now, the, now the next part is now. One thing I've always been curious about, Duncan, is his interest in transhumanity, uh, transhumanism, and the singularity. It's well known by Kurzweil has often claimed one of his goals is. Oh, yeah, this is kind of like what I talked about or desires is to one day be able to recreate or bring back to life his dead father. So my obvious question, Duncan is hoping of course not to be too intensive or callous and sensitive or callous is simply this. Would he also like to do the same with his dead mother? And you've already answered Weirdly, that, you question. Already answered that yeah. question.
0: So you, it's so strange, you know? Yeah. I already answered the question. Of course <laughs> so, I
3: think.
0: Yes. Okay.
2: I'm going to continue on here and you can, and then you can uh, follow on from that. So he said, uh, One problem I've always had with the transhumanism movement is that, and all the people who equate the human brain with a computer and who think one day we'll be able to, oh, geez, before they address this, too, we'll be able to download our consciousness in order to achieve (laughs) immortality. That's the professionalism we have here, is that these people show a surprising lack of respect for the subconscious. Now, that's something we didn't really get into. Getting back to Kurzweil and his dad, let's suppose if his Oh, geez, this is kind of funny. You want to get into this? Have you read this, Darren? No. Okay, getting back to Kurzweil and his goal to bringing back his dad, let's suppose his father had a secret fetish fantasy of being sodomized by transgender midgets clad in Jesus black... Velvet clothing... <laughs> Yes. Something so outrageous, scandalous, and outlandish, he kept his fantasy forever secret to everyone, even his own spouse. Yes. Now, let's assume Kurzweil manages to create a convincing simulation of his father's personality using his memories of him yes. and whichever records were left behind in the material form after his death photographs, super hate movie recordings, letters, etc. This yes. is, of course, what we talked about. The simulation might manage to be 99.99 concordant with those existing records and the testimony of all who met this individual, but without the transgender midget fantasy, it would never be able to match the real personality of Ray Kurzweil's father thoughts.
0: (laughs) I, I, you know, I got it. Number one, I, I disagree with you there. I think that to say that, uh, 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 a a per, so it's like, so there's this, um, uh, mystic uh, Gurdjieff he mm-hmm. talks about how a, a person isn't you know a person is not just one thing a person's a bundle of all these different personalities uh, that come and go and, and what, in your example here one piece of Kurzweil's father's personality appears to be this very complicated and probably pretty expensive fetish uh <laughs> with the black velvet has. and all <laughs> so, so yeah so so to remove this fetish uh of you're saying if if we take away some piece of a person then th- that person well then that that can't be the same person you know and and it it, it, it it's i don't think that's the case at all i mean it's it's if take
1: a, uh, it's kind of like a it, fucked up version of the butterfly effect
0: yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like, and I, but I do like to, to simplify a little bit. Uh, if you look at cognitive behavior therapy and you look at the cognitive behavior therapy triangle, uh, where at the top we have our thoughts, on the bottom we have our behaviors and our emotions, and if we change any of those three points, the other two points will change, or any of the point of the, if you change any point in that triangle, the yeah. other two points will change. Right. So, okay. uh, So I think you could say, okay. I, I create this Frankenstein amalgamation of personalities and imbue, uh, imbue a, a, a 3D or, or even a, ro- a robot with these uh, aspects, but it's not 100% finished. Therefore, that's no longer Ray Kurzweil's father. So I say, if, you're, if you know someone who has Alzheimer's disease and they start losing memories, that's still your mother. It's just your mother minus a few memories. It's your father minus a few memories. You know, if a person has a, if if a person, it's really a great question though. It's a well said, well written, awesome question. Like if you, because it gets into the Buddhist concept of, okay, well, what is the self? Like if I take a person, I cut off his arm. Like, let's say I'm I'm trying to figure out what is Jack. And I take Jack's arm, poor Jack's arm off. It's still Jack. He just doesn't have an arm. Now I cut off his other arm, still Jack. I cut off his legs. That's still my friend. He just doesn't have arms and legs. <laughs> now what happens if I, like, replace his face with another face? Is it still my friend? Well, yeah, it's still. He's going to say it's still me. I just have a different face. I don't look the same. Uh, okay, well, let's take away this memory and that memory. Like, when does it cease to be the same person that I always knew? And, like, if you begin to ask yourself that very same question, which is where am I in this bundle of personality that I currently and am, am aware of as myself uh, then you quickly realize shit man i'm not i don't i can't find myself in here you know i just seem to be a series of predilections a a bundle of uh habituations but i'm not really sure where i am in here i don't know where i am now i have a hope that what what we actually are is uh receivers and that uh in that, in that we're tuning in a very specific frequency that we call ourselves. So if you ask if a radio is playing Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. for example, would you say, well, that radio is Michael Jackson? No, no the radio exactly. is not Michael Jackson. Yeah. The radio is like tuning into a radio station that's playing Michael Jackson. It's a digital replication of Michael Jackson seeming at, at some point back in time. Right. So I, I, I think. And I don't know, I mean, this is really out there, obviously. I don't think it's that far out. So perhaps if we could assemble together uh, just the right series of uh, neurological, uh, digitized neurological aspects of a person, and I'm more inclined to believe that's what you'd need rather than their physical form or their social media profile, though maybe that could work too, I don't know. But if I can get this stuff together just right, would it just begin to tune in to the eternal frequency that that person's physical body was tuning into, and 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 would we begin to realize that humans are just radios for a transcendent soul frequency,
2: collective they, consciousness,
0: yeah, or or even a, a, a collective consciousness composed of an infinite number of personalities that when. St- Circumstances are just right, manifest themselves through human beings, or sometimes perhaps through some other form of technology that we're not aware of yet. And this is actually uh, reminds me of a, um, when I was at this Ramdas retreat, I was talking to this woman who had who, who had, had a conversation with a Tibetan Lama and had said to him, What do you guys think about the possibility that you know, AI is going to become sentient? And he said, if you construct uh, a computer complex enough to house a soul, then a soul will incarnate within that computer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that that's cool? like, yeah, that's like, well, that's on the same lines as I was reading an article a few weeks ago that for all we know, uh, these iPhones and iPads and ThinkPads and all this shit could have some sort of rudimentary consciousness.
0: Yes, exactly, that we're not quite aware of yet, that's just really low level right now. Like, I mean, is it, you You could almost say that, shit, man, my iPad seems to be uh, way more alive than a slime mold, you know, like, you, my iPad seems to be way more alive, I don't know if I, slime molds, right, because those things are pretty amazing, but, <laughs> you know, think about the most rudimentary form of life, and you, you, amoeba. an amoeba, you know, you be like, it seems kind of alive, you know?
2: Next thing you know, it syncs up with all the women around it that are on, on their period every month, that's why my iPhone's been acting up, <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, it, it, that's, a, I think, uh, I think you need to find a better, a new iPhone repair guy. There's mm. just a lot of ladies in your neighborhood. And are menstruating. I can't do anything about it, brother. That's
1: that's what they told you at the genius bar. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so are, are you getting into, uh, some streaming shit? I thought I heard on a recent podcast, you're, uh, starting some new projects. You want to, you want to disclose here?
0: Sure man I well it's not I mean yeah I'm 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 eventually going to start streaming the podcast haven't gotten there yet trying to figure out the best way to do it I've been going back and forth on ways to do it I've I've actually gotten some some other business style people in, in, involved in it and uh we'll see I I like I'm definitely going to start streaming I've got some bigger problems right now like my my studio gets too hot and if you hear a background drone right now it's my air conditioner running but so I gotta, I gotta either have to make a decision of I'm renting a house right now, right, and it's not my house, so I, I, I don't really feel like installing central air into a house that I don't, I'm not gonna stay in forever. So uh, I've got to like figure out how to cool this motherfucker down, and 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 uh, you know on my web, there's actually on my website in the forum, there's a whole thread where people are trying to help me figure out how to cool my studio down without putting in central air, and I've got. Eighty-nine percent fake answers. (laughs) Like just a bucket of ice.
2: You just gotta get
1: fucking frigid in there. Like, see if you can get that fucker down to like two degrees, and then go in there with a couple sweaters on and just buck them off every fifteen minutes.
0: You know, man, it doesn't work. I try. I've tried doing the whole like ice it down to, to to like you know. The problem is like my float tank is right next to my podcast studio, but the float tank is just body temperature. You know, I don't don't know. I think just the way that there's no insulation in the house, you know, I may just end up making my landlord very happy and shelling out some money to like, at least get this room air conditioned. I I know they have these, like, I've seen them before. These, these very quiet air conditioners you can install. You just have to knock a hole in the wall, but I don't know. I'll figure it out. So anyway, once I figure that out so that my guests aren't going to be resentfully sweating through an (laughs) hour of a podcast, uh, at that point, I'm going to start streaming video.
2: Oh, okay, so it'll be more like a, a video live sort of podcast. And so do you have mo- are most of your podcast guests uh, live in studio with you?
0: Yeah, most of them are live. That's great. Or That's I go excellent. to
1: them. We just had yeah. our first. Well, no,
2: first in this studio. First in this studio, yeah. yeah.
1: We've had a couple. It a was with Carlson, located, so it was where a great you guys start. Are
2: located? In Calgary.
0: Oh, okay. That's cool. You know, man, I'd, I'd prefer it live. Like, I love this right now. I'd, I think that, like, the the distinction that some podcasters make between Skyping and live is a manufactured distinction. Uh, but, but, uh, or, or as a, they've, they've made it way more. Some, some podcasters are, are like, I will not Skype. I've got to be there with them. Oh, it's like, you know, that thing where it's like, <laughs> well, that I, I would be nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know I think this, to me, this feels as good as doing a podcast with someone there. You know, again, we're very, we're still very much, hooked on the idea of being in the presence of another person's meat body. And this is the addiction that that, that, that our society has to meetings. You know, like, God, people just love a fucking meeting. Like, <laughs> Like, I'm so annoyed by meetings. Like I I get so annoyed when somebody is like, ah yeah, let's all get together and talk this one out. It's like, okay, or why don't we all get on a conference call because it's the same fucking thing? Like, what do you need to smell my pheromones to write this thing? Like
2: meanwhile, today I was trying I was talking to people about having more meetings today. You're a meeting guy. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: was like I'm sorry, brother. I don't mean that you know what? I sweet. And there's and there's a very human thing that to me it's just like I am a recluse I like to be alone. I, I like to be alone with my girlfriend and my dogs and the little like house that I'm in. It's really quite quite wonderful. And 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 uh and, and driving into traffic to go to go sit in a room with a group of people, uh, where inevitably people are like, Oh, you want know guy, you let's order lunch. Wanna order lunch? Like, oh great, let's <laughs> order lunch, it's another fucking hour. Yeah, order lunch. And now everyone's eating, smacking their food and half the time everyone's looking at their fucking cell phones anyway it's very inefficient to me it, it, the 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 product that is produced by that uh is 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 very similar to the product produced if things are worked on digitally and maybe not quite as good as if things are worked on remotely by people so hmm. i don't know man i'm not a i'm not a meeting guy i like this like this is a joy to me like having conversations like this is one of my favorite things on earth but the the whole like yeah let me drive to to, let me drive an hour through Los Angeles traffic to talk to you for eight minutes about something I could have gotten on the phone with you about. It doesn't make sense. And also, it's shitty for the environment. Not that that's like at the forefront of any of our minds in general. It's still like, think of this. If there was a day called no meeting day where nobody was allowed to have meetings, where it was just like, this is the one day where we don't have, not Saturday or Sunday, because people have meetings on that, but a a day where it's like on a Wednesday in February, the second Wednesday in February, no one has meetings in the world. (laughs) Think of that, what a beautiful day that would be. Like the roads would be clear, there would be birds would be singing, and just this nice relief would sweep through everything. You know, it would be nice no more meetings just
2: put it that put it this way everybody has to just stay home that day and nobody's allowed to just go out or do anything
0: well yeah except (laughs) people
1: on their motorcycles
0: (laughs) yeah you know i think that you want the i mean like here's the thing the roads are clotted with humans on their way to offices offices were things that were built prior to the existence of the internet there are things that were constructed prior to the amazing technology we have right now and i wonder if this technology had always existed if people would have felt the necessity to build these uh artificial k ca- business caves where people gather together and uh meld ideas that easily could be done at home remotely like i think it's an antique the office building is an antiquated thing and i think as vr becomes more advanced we're going to r- start experiencing these mega offices which are Mm. Uh, populated by people using VR, uh, from all over the world who are being paid in Bitcoin, you're going to find these islands of uh, labor which are not on in any country or any place. It's just going to be the uh, uh, the the sort of like the uh, business equivalent of BitTorrent or whatever. You know, it's just going to be this like congruence of humans working remotely together. And the presence will happen through VR tech or some other version of that. And those offices are going to be a billion times more profitable because they're not going to have to pay to maintain a fucking office. And
2: they're already doing that. Like Danny from Clouded there, he's already been on virtual panel discussions and shit like that. So you're okay with a virtual meeting, just not trucking through the traffic to an
0: office. Look, if I could teleport to an office and be there, I would do it in a second. No big deal. It's the fact that I've got to get in my car and drive through traffic. For an, it's just that the 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 temporal expenditure to spend thirty minutes talking with someone about ideas uh, is two hours. So I have to spend two hours to hang out for thirty minutes with you. That's a very, as far as I'm concerned, that's a very expensive. That's a, a, a very expensive when it comes to what the end result. So that's all. So yeah, I would teleport. I I, I have no problem with digital meetings, but the whole—it's nice to like sit in your house and be in a meeting with someone. Yeah, I'm I'm looking
2: forward to being able to podcast virtually, like have an actual virtual environment to podcast out of, like whether it's you know at an ancient site or something applicable to the topic of our show, maybe. So hey, are you are are you going
1: like just like this?
2: Are are you going to PAX at all? Uh, Do you know what PAX is in Seattle? That virtual uh, virtual reality gaming. uh,
0: no, I'm not. Or something
2: like that. Hmm.
0: I'm not going to that. I I, I have some friends who uh, do a uh, virtual reality events here in LA, and I go to that. Sweet. But I, I I will not. I won't go to that. I mean, I'm at this point with VR. I've seen what I need to see, uh just to know that the moment that. That Valve prototype comes out, man. The Valve VR comes out next year. I'm picking it up for sure. Yeah, that's uh, my my
2: sister's coming up with that game. Her company. She works for uh, Cloudhead, so they're coming up with. Uh, they've just released a new uh, like a video on actually how they move through Val- through the virtual re- environment. So they're uh, they're working cool. with the Valve that uh, the Vive, and it's uh, it's looking pretty insane.
0: Man, I've seen the Vive. It's fucking nuts. I saw the new. Um, Portal demo, it's crazy. It's if you haven't experienced VR yet, it's a billion times better than probably what you expect. And if you have experienced VR like a DK two or any of the earlier VR prototypes, it makes those look like shit. It is nuts. It's so good. (laughs) I can't wait for it to come out. It's so good.
1: Yeah, the DK two is kind of sketchy. It was like it was fun. We made a night out of it, and then oh, you felt kind of sick. Oh it yeah, yeah. It sick. was almost like a hangover. Yeah,
2: like th- these guys are purposefully making it not nausea for you, so you can move around in this environment without getting sick. Like they're pretty big on on taking the time to make sure that's comfortable.
0: Yeah, they have to. I mean, obviously they got to do that, or no one's going to buy them. I mean, they, they can't like that DK two is a fucking puke machine, man. Like that thing was. Was, was just like yeah it's it's cool i'm in another place but i gotta throw up yeah
2: i thought it was but, just me it's good to hear that it's not just no me. it's a
0: lot of people but the, the valve when i didn't get sick at all i mean i got a kind of like existential dizziness that came from being in one reality and another instantaneously but other than that there was no nausea it was just beautiful
1: remember that fucked up old movie do you ever see that movie it was like Existenz or something like that where it's like yeah those little like fuck, they were alive the games were alive and they're like sucked onto your back or something like that it was no yeah
0: i, mean, I kind of remember that that was a
1: long a, time ago like that fucking that movie was so ahead of its time when you look back now it's crazy
0: um hey you guys i kind of have to wrap this up unfortunately uh it's it's been a hoot talking to you yeah, though how, how long have we done about an hour and a half yeah but. yeah
2: no it was i was just gonna start winding her down there so is there anything else you want to you want to talk about or uh say to the, uh, how they can get a hold of you i mean i'm gonna link to your podcast and your website and, all and the show notes no. and-
0: what a blast! It's really cool chatting with you guys. Yeah, I, thanks, I really man.
2: Really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. Okay, cool. Very nice talking to you, and uh, have a have an amazing rest of your night. Yeah. yeah. You too, buddy. If
1: you are ever in Calgary, look us up.
0: Yeah. If you hear I'm coming coming to Calgary and I forget, look me up, and maybe we could do one of these live.
2: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We'll, we'll teleport you here, so you don't. have to I love drive. Calgary.
0: Yeah, I was there recently. You know, I'll I'll be back. Right on, buddy. Okay, take okay, care, bye, of Duncan.
3: See ya. All right. Thank you.
2: Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody enjoyed that chat with Duncan. I think that was pretty pretty funny, Darren.
1: Yeah, that was a good one. It was good to finally uh align with him and get that done. Yeah, we've been looking forward to that for a while. People have been telling us to get Duncan on the show for over a year probably.
2: Yeah, so thanks to Duncan for coming on. And it's funny how we didn't get into like, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could have got into too, but it was pretty cool to talk about the things we did and i liked how uh we haven't been planning this for months so it snuck up on us and
1: yeah it came up quick so yeah it was a good one one for the books i think one of the better better uh he's one of the more eloquent speakers on spirituality and stuff like that right like i think other people have have some really good ideas and they put it across really well but duncan just kind of has a a, you know almost like it almost um, like it's it's his purpose to spread his gospel you know what i mean like I can't
2: even imagine how he begins to articulate that stuff. Like his well, mind I think must it's move kind of so a, fast. It's the just,
1: same sort of thing as like someone like Randall Carlson, except yeah. talking about a different passion, right? Right.
2: Yeah, they're thank God those people are communicating.
1: Yeah. Better than us. We just say fuck it A try and listen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: try and listen and ask some good questions.
1: And our late Yeah, exactly. No, that was a good one. A couple uh, yeah, it's been a, a fun run this summer. Um Things are only picking up. It's good. Yeah. Uh, Next week we'll release Brenda Michaels probably, unless if Randall and the boys end up making it back this weekend in time for another show, we might sneak that out just as another nice little ice cap on the trip. Yeah. Well, it's still fresh in everyone's minds from the last episode. Uh,
2: But uh, speaking of that, I just wanted to thank everybody for helping out the show because when, when you had, like we had Randall and them, in studio and around here and, you know, it's just, it's nice to have people donating and helping out the show and it just, uh,
1: just makes things easier for us. Exactly. Yeah. We've got, uh, some big expenses coming up too with flights and hotel rooms oh, up shit. Paradigm right. to go we there and those. chat with some people. So yeah, uh, on that note, check out, uh, grandma, slash support and, uh, check out all the different ways you can support the show there. Of course, completely voluntary. We do, uh let all this content go absolutely free every episode we've ever done. So because a lot of people are still finding the show, right? People find the show every day and it's yeah. nice for them to just be able to go back and listen to the whole back catalog with no ads or no bullshit.
2: Yeah. So yeah. Jack well, we might've had ads at the beginning. Like we had, we tried the Amazon portal thing and all that. And oh everything. yeah. So yeah. we did have, there might be some at the beginning, but now it's like completely sponsorship and ad free. Remember we, we tried the 20. Audible thing too. Yeah. <laughs> then, we, then we never ever got one. No. We got, yeah. We got some Audible. You mean? Yeah. No, audible. No. We got no. like
1: twenty three yeah. bucks out of the Amazon thing. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, but it was just it which, wasn't because we did not enough money.
1: To, it wasn't enough to even pay out when we stopped it. So yeah. it was be, so we had to we had to get it an Amazon credit. <laughs> so we had to spend that money at Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it was fun while it lasted.
2: But no, we don't want to do ads or. Or uh, sponsors or anything?
1: No, we just want to stay 100% listener supported. Value so, for value. Value for value. Um, if you find some value, then send some back our way and uh, we'll live and die by it.
2: And uh, send your um, spam to Graham.
1: Your synchronicities, trip reports. Send all that shit to Graham. Um, sign up for the newsletter, gramerica.ca slash news. Sign up your friends and, of course, review the show where you can. And uh, most importantly, help uh, spread the formula. Tell a friend. Yeah. <laughs> Pat people on the back. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.
3: You never see positive drug stories on the news, do you? Isn't that weird? Since most of the experiences I've had on drugs were real fucking positive. Who are these morons there, find it? That's what I want to know. I used want to call the news. Come over to our house. celebrate. Wow, I just felt the world get lighter. We lost a moron. Put on the Hammer album. I'm ready to dance. We lost a moron. I don't mean to sound cold or cruel or vicious, but I am, so that's the way it comes out.